Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis 16. We'll begin in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 16 of Genesis 16. Uh, We took a break last week and looked at Philippians 4, but just a bit of a reminder of where we are in chapter 15. Abram came to God and said, you promised me a child and I don't have a child yet. And God took him out and said, look at the stars, see my creative power and see that if I have the power to create stars in the heavens, that I have the power to give you a child from your own body. And Abram said, Lord, you've promised me the land, and yet I do not have hold of the land. And God gave Abram uh, the prophecy of what would happen, that in 400 years his family would return to the land and would take possession of it after spending a time in slavery and in mistreatment in Egypt. And God, to, to give this promise to him, had Abram take the animals and God walked between the animals to, to, in essence to say that if I break my promise to you about the land, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Genesis has this ebb and flow, at least through the, the, the account of Abram, this ebb and flow of God's promise and Abram's response to the promise. And so today we pick it up in chapter 16 as we look at how humanity responded to the God's promises to Abram. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well it was called Be'er Lahai Roi, Roi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Let us pray. To the God who has revealed himself to scriptures, we come before you today and humbly submit ourselves to your word. As we look at this word, we ask that you show us where we falter. 
Show us where we need to love you more. Show us where we need to delight in you and in your word. Shine your light in our lives through this word so that we may grow to be more like you, so that we may love you more, so that we may taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Have you ever been part of a group project before? Maybe it was at school and you had an assignment to do and at the end of it there was a speech to give and all of you worked together. Maybe it was at work and you and some fellow employees were tasked with completing a special project for the company or for the boss or maybe it was part of a volunteer organization and you had to plan and carry out and put on a fundraiser. What typically happens in, or at least what do we jokingly say typically happens whenever a group of people get together in a group project and seek to do something. We kind of jokingly say there's always that one person that shows up for the first meeting and says, my work here is done, and you never see him again until the end when it's time to take all the praise and all the accolades. How do we typically react to that person's lack of activity? Sometimes we blame the absentee member and we get bitter about it. Sometimes we just kind of sit there passively and say, do, ever, do, ever, do whatever you think you need to do to make up for the absentee member. And then sometimes one person takes in the slack and, and belittles everyone else who did not help. We just mentioned before we read the Scripture that God has promised to do some certain things for Abram. And right now it seems like God is the absentee party in this group project. And so today we're going to see how uh, Abram and Sarai and Hagar react to this supposedly absentee God and see how God reacts to their reaction. So the first thing I want to look at is the self-sufficient faithlessness of the people involved, of the humans involved in this. The self-sufficient faithlessness of humanity. In verses 1 and 2, we're introduced to the four players of this account. Abram, Sarai, Hagar, and the Lord the God above who has made these promises. Hagar is confronted with her infertility. She says in verse, in verse 2, she says, um, the Lord has kept me from having children. We've been introduced to this back in chapter 11 in the genealogy of Abraham where the, the author stops for just a moment and points out that Sagar, or Hagar, oh, wow, all right, we're just going to stop for just a second right now. We're going to back up real quick. I get at my, my wits about me. Glad to have everybody here today. We're going to stand up and for our call. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Apparently, I'm going to bungle some words today. So, Sarai. Yeah, Nancy enjoys it when I mess up the words. So, Sarai, we were reminded in chapter 11 that she was barren, that she had not brought Abram any children. And that was part of the promises that God had given to them. And she is confronted here with her infertility. And she says, the Lord has kept me from children. And we begin to see bitterness creep in to Sarah's life as she sits here under the weight of a culture that expects a female to show the blessing of the gods by becoming pregnant. In a family in the ancient Near East, if, if there, were, there were no children, it was not the man's fault. It was all on the woman's shoulders. And so she feels this cultural pressure. She feels this pressure of the promise from God that God has promised to give Abram children and she has not produced any. And so she takes matters into her own hands here. And she says, I have an Egyptian servant. She says, I have this cultural uh, tradition that says if the wife 
cannot produce children, then she'll give a slave or a servant to her husband. And if children are produced from that, they become the children of the wife. And so she does this cultural thing and she gives Hagar to her husband, Abram. And he agrees with her. He says, hey, this is a good idea. And he sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. She conceives. And then because pregnancy was such a sign of blessing, Hagar begins to abuse Sarai. It's kind of this thing, a nanny, nanny, boo, boo, I've got a child and you don't kind of a thing there. She's mistreating. She's abusing verbally Sarai for her inability to have children. And what should Abram have done in the midst of this? Abram should have stepped up and he should have protected Sarai. Sarai was his wife. And it's the, the role, it's the, the relate, it is the, the job of the husband to protect his wife from abuse from outside the marriage and from inside the marriage as well. But what does he do? When Sarai comes to complain to him about it, he goes, eh, do whatever you want. Take care of it yourself. Handle this on your own. I'm out. He's passive in this. Where he should have been active to protect Sarah, he's passive in this. And so Sarah returns abuse for abuse. She returns oppression for oppression. She mistreats Sarai. And it's interesting that this word mistreats here is the same word that God has said that the Egyptians will do to the children of Abraham when God predicted to Abraham uh, the abuses that they would have at the hands of the Egyptians. And also the word that Moses uses at the beginning of the book of Exodus to describe the treatments that the Egyptians gave to the to the Israelite slaves. So this mistreatment is not just name calling. This mistreatment might have involved some physical abuse. It definitely involved deep, deep verbal abuse uh, that Sarai did to Hagar. So how does Hagar react to this? She runs away. She's headed back to her homeland. This road that this well is on is the road back to Egypt. She was an Egyptian slave and she's headed back to Egypt. And at the well, Hagar is met by the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is typically a messenger that shows up throughout the Old Testament. This is the first place we see him show up. Sometimes he's equated with the Lord himself. Sometimes he is a pre-incarnate uh, uh, vision of Christ in the desert or in the life of Israel. But whoever he is, whatever responsibility he has, he is typically there to announce something that is very important in salvation history. And Hagar uh, answers the questions that the angel gave. The angel said, where, where are you from and where are you going? She says, I'm from Abram's house and I'm bailing on him. I'm taken off because of the meanness, the abuse, the mistreatment of Sarai. And the angel replies to her in a way that I doubt Hagar was expecting. He says, turn around and go back. Go back to the house. Go back to the household and submit to your master, Sarai. Submit to the one who's been mean to you. Submit to the one who has mistreated you. And not only does he give her this command, he gives her some promises. He promises her that she'll have a son and that she would become the matriarch of a great nation. He does promise her that her son will be stubborn and hostile to the nations around him. And we, we do kind of still see this borne out today in the conflict in the Middle East as many of, of Arab descent um, claim Ishmael as their ancestor. But the, also, the angel also reveals a couple things about God to Hagar. 
He reveals that God hears Hagar's cries of misery. And and Hagar calls God the one who looks after her. And so Hagar returns to Abram and Sarai, and Ishmael is born. So before we dig a little bit deeper into the faithlessness of the humans in this account, I want us to, I just want to point out two things that are important um, and very interesting. Our culture tries to find many ways in which to attack the Bible, and one of the ways in which they do that is they, they talk about how horrible the Bible is to women in the Scriptures. In all of the ancient Near Eastern literature from this time that we have found, there is only one instance of a divine being addressing a female by name. And it's this one right here. Typically, divine beings only talk to men. Because in other cultures, I'm sorry ladies, but in other cultures, women were created as a punishment to men for their audacity to rebel against God or to try to establish dominance against God. But here we have the angel of the Lord, the representative straight from the throne room of God, not only address Hagar, a Gentile, a non-Israelite, a non-Abrahamic person, but address her by name. And to address somebody by name during this time was was a sign of intimacy, a sign of knowledge, a sign of care and compassion. You know, we we greet one another by name just so we can identify one another. This was a tender address. But it's also the only time in Scripture that a human being gives a name to God. Every other time that a name of God is revealed in Scripture, He reveals it Himself. And yet in this passage here, she calls Him the God who has seen me or the God who looks after me. And it's the only instance in Scripture where God is named by a human and the human is a female. Those are just some interesting things to take home and tuck in the back of your head for future conversations with people who don't like the Bible. As I considered the faithlessness of humans this week and looked at the commentators that that talked about this, it seemed like the commentators were split evenly between those who wanted to let Abram off the hook, those who wanted to let Sarah off the hook, and those who wanted to let Hagar off the hook. You know, Abram, Abram should be let off the hook because he was just doing what the culture around him always did. Sarah should be let off the hook because, you know, she was just doing what the culture around her said was the was the right thing for her to do as a wife who had not had a child. Uh, She responded to Hagar because Hagar had abused her. And, you know, Sarah should be let off the hook. And Hagar is typically let off the hook because, you know, well, she was the slave in the picture, but she had no control over her actions or anything that happened to her. And she was only fighting for her independence and fighting against oppression. But I think as we look at this and as we see some clues in here that None of the humans involved in this should be let off the hook. There's some interesting parallels in the original language between this and Genesis chapter 3. If we look at uh, verse um, 2, at the end of verse 2, it says, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. We see that verbiage show up in Genesis 3.17 where God comes to Adam and says, since you agreed to what your wife said. And since you agreed to what your wife did, here are the curses that come down upon you. Sarah takes her servant and gives her to her husband, just as Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband. This is a repetition of the fall story here. 
And so we see that no human gets off the hook in this account. Every human sinned in some way. Abram sinned. He was apathetic toward a threat to his home and to his marriage. As I mentioned earlier, as soon as Hagar started attacking his wife, he should have stepped in. He should have protected his marriage. He committed adultery. God had ordained in Genesis chapter 2 that children, that multiplication for the human race comes from one man and one woman in marriage, in matrimony. And so he committed adultery. He refused to protect his unborn child. He allowed his pregnant mistress to be kicked out into the desert, into a hostile environment where she could have died. Sarai's sins are his bitter, is her bitterness toward God. How does she start out speaking in this? The Lord has kept me from having children. Now, in a sense, that is right. Psalm 121 says the Lord keeps our going in and our coming out from this time forth, even forevermore. It has that sense of a daily coming in and going out, but it also has a much larger sense of going in and coming out as if we come, go into the world and go out of the world. So in a sense, that is true. But the language here speaks of bitterness. The language here speaks of anger at God that is not dealt with properly. You know, sometimes God keeps things from us. How do we react? Do we go to him and continue in prayer and, and peace and, and humbleness before our Lord? Or do we get bitter and angry with him and complain and grouse and gripe? Bitterness can lead to rebellion. She trusted herself to bring about God's promises rather than trusting God. Her thoughts were, hey, look, God's kept me from having children. I've got a plan on how to, how to make sure Abraham gets an heir that God's promised him. I'll do it myself. Hatred and oppression of Hagar. No matter what Hagar did to her, no matter what Hagar said to her, we do not respond to oppression and anger with oppression and anger. And she, like Abram, abandoned God's plan for children. Hagar, her sins were adultery, arrogance, and pride, and a pride that led to the abuse of Sarah and a refusal to submit to Sarai's authority. She, we talk about a maidservant here. This is not the word for slave that we typically think of. Think of Eleazar in Abram's house. We're going to look forward to Eleazar is kind of uh, the steward of Abram's house. He's in charge of making sure Isaac is well taken care of after Isaac's born. He's in charge of making sure the flocks are well taken care of. And he's in charge of finding a wife for Isaac when he comes of age. Uh, Hagar fulfilled that same role for Sarah. She was in charge of all of Sarah's business. And uh, her refusal to submit to Sarah's authority, that authority should have been light, that yoke should have been easy. And all of these sins led to a big mess. It led to tension between Abram and Sarah. It led to tension between Abram and Hagar. It led to tension between Sarah and Hagar. And it led to Hagar bailing. And it is in Hagar's leaving the household that we see the compassionate faithfulness of God. How does God react to the self-sufficient faithlessness of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar? He sends the angel of the Lord to a woman sitting at a well. He sends the angel of the Lord to, to Hagar and he says, I am going to, you are going to name your son Ishmael, which means God hears because God has heard your cry of misery. And what kind of misery would Hagar have been suffering? 
You ever tried to trek through a desert when you're pregnant? Probably wasn't the best of situations to be in. You ever been yelled and screamed at by somebody? You ever been verbally abused by somebody? You ever been treated like you were something less than human because somebody didn't like something about you? We have a tendency when that happens to own it after a while, do we not? As the shame sinks in, as the the words sink in and we roll these words through our head, we begin to think to ourselves, you know, maybe I am as worthless as they say I am. Maybe Maybe I am as much of a bug as they say I am. Hagar left. Hagar had the misery of walking through the desert. She had the misery of being abused by Sarai. And yet the angel of the Lord looks at her and says, I'm here because God has heard your misery. God has heard your cries of desperation. God has heard those sobs and those seen those tears that came because you were abused by Sarai and put in a bad situation. God's heard you and I'm here. But God not only hears us, He sees us. She names Him the God who has seen me or the God who sees me. Now this isn't just a declaration that God has eyes. This word that is used here means to care for, to look after. I have seen the God who cares for me. He met her at the well to rescue her. He met her at the well to restore her. He met her at the well to reconcile the broken relationship between Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. And the God who hears, the God who looks after, He's also the God who commands. And He told her, the best place for you to be is in the household of Sarai. Go home and submit. And we see reconciliation in this. What happens when she gets back? So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son that she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. We at least see some reconciliation within the family that begins. We see the restoration of Abram. We see the restoration of Hagar. We're going to have to wait a little bit for the restoration of Sarai until we get to, to chapter 18 and chapter 21. But it's begun as Hagar comes back. Now, Ishmael does live up to his name. As we meet Isaac later on, we're going to see that Ishmael begins to do the same thing to Isaac that his mother did to Sarah. And God then protects them and removes them from the family to protect the child of promise. But he also establishes Ishmael and Ishmael's family. He, he bears out and he fulfills the promises. But I think it's important for us to see that in this moment, in this passage, God hears, God sees, and God commands restoration and reconciliation. And if we know our Bible and we look to John chapter 4, we see that this is not the last time in Scripture that God approaches a woman at the well. God approaches a woman who has cried out in misery, who has cried out in shame. He says, go get your husband so we can talk. She says, I don't have a husband. He's like, you've spoken truly. You've had four in the past, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He reaches out to her in the midst of her shame. He reaches out to her in the midst of her rebellion against him, her faithlessness against the God of the universe. And he offers her the living water that can only come through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes it feels like we're in this group project with God called life. 
And God's promised to see us through life. He's promised to strengthen us through life. He's promised to give us peace in the hard times. He's promised to give us joy in the difficult times. And man, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like He's just kind of abandoned us here to the shame and worthlessness of what other people say about us, to the shame and worthlessness of what we say about ourselves, and to the misery of living in this fallen and broken world. But the same God who named Ishmael Ishmael because he hear he heard Hagar's misery is faithful to us to hear our cries of misery and to speak into those mistreatments to speak into those shamefulnesses to speak into that worthlessness that we feel and to remind us that we are created in the image of God and nothing anybody can say or do to us changes that we are God's image we are glorious we are dignified But He hears our misery when we don't think so and we become faithless because of it. And He sees us. He cares for us. I mentioned in my pastoral prayer that oftentimes we come out of a difficult time. We come out of a valley and we can finally breathe again and we we think, man, I got myself out of that. And we turn around and look and realize, no, I didn't. The God who felt like He wasn't there was there the whole time taking care of me walking beside me with his, his rod and His staff to comfort me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But He does command us as well. He commands us to be restored to Himself. He commands us to be restored to those whom we have had issues with. And that looks different for everybody. It's a case-by-case basis as to what that restoration looks like. But He corrects us in our wrong. And He reminds us that He is the God who hears and He is the God who sees. We take matters into our own hands, whether we're Abram's passivity, whether it's Sarai's uh, taking matters into our own hand, or whether it's Hagar's oppression. We seek to rule our own lives. We show our own self-sufficient faithlessness. And yet God is compassionate to be faithful to us even though we aren't to Him. Let us pray. God, You are compassionate. You are loving. You are kind. You hear our cries of misery. And You see our lives. And You care for us. You know each and every nook and cranny of our heart. And You love us. And You care for us. And You hear us. Lord, look after us. When we cry to You, let us know You hear Remind us of your presence on a daily basis and basis, and help us to embrace that faithfulness that you have even when we are faithless. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.